statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're taking this time into September to talk about this important topic of the church. And then I've asked Dan Clark if he could uh, teach in October. And I uh, appreciate him uh, being willing to do that. And then uh, Brother Earl in November. And uh, then we'll see what the Lord leads regarding December for our adult class. Right now, we're, we're going back to the basics in a sense. We're going back to looking at the church. And again, I continue to hear uh, statistics. I continue to hear different surveys about different demographic groups and where the church is at and the pressures on the church, the attacks internally and externally. Uh, we know Without getting too carried away, we know about the Southern Baptist Convention and what they have been through with uh, the abuse scandal and then another former Southern Baptist pastor from a mega church has now been accused of abuse. It's just the headlines and now the federal government is stepping in to uh, investigate and we know that when the government steps in to investigate conservatives, evangelicals, Bible believers, we know that they come with a non-neutral view. No matter what they say about applying the law, we know that the law is not always applied fairly when it comes to Evangelicals, Christians, Bible believers. And so we're, we're, we're up against an onslaught. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. But it does speak to the fact that there is opposition. We're studying it in the book of John as we go through the life of Christ in the book of John. And so when Peter made this statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son living God, Jesus answered, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, But my Father which is in heaven, he speaks to the fact that this is an eternal, absolute truth revealed by God. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So once again, we go back to these terms, and we understand uh, the the word Peter, and understanding that uh, that means pebble, it means a small stone, And upon this rock, Petra, bedrock, foundation stone, I will build my church, Jesus says. So upon that truth, that thou art the Christ, the Son living God, upon Jesus Christ, upon that bedrock, foundational truth, that absolute truth, that thou art the Christ, the Son living God, upon that truth, upon Christ himself, Christ will build his church. And notice again, I will build my church, Christ says. So it's about us getting on board with what God says about how he will build his church. It's not some mystery with some secret code that only a certain elite group with some secret knowledge can figure out. It's the simple obedience and faith of trusting that what God's word says is true and living faithful and obedient to that. And we see in the book of Acts how God built his church, and it was built God's way, and it continues to this day. We are products, we are benefactors by the grace of God, of God building his church. And again, we are part of the greatest institution besides the family. In all the world, in all time, we should not take that for granted, But people are leaving the church, people have left the church, and people are struggling with 
being back in church and there's a low, low level of commitment as the world gets worse and worse and worse, as there seems to be more and more attacks, more and more pressure internally and externally, it seems that Christians would want to be together more. It seems that we'd want to be under the word more. It seems that when we're under more pressure and more attack, we should be more unified. We should be more in the word. We should be more obedient. But it seems like at times that the church is running amok instead of coming together and being more faithful and more obedient. And so it's a, it's a real challenge that uh, we are up against. But God has made it clear that he will build a church, and so we must follow his pattern, we must follow his way for building his church. Yes, Earl. Pastor, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you, because you have several times gone through this very path. I was raised conservative on Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, there is. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Correct. 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 Especially when you think of the word that he used when he used Petra. They understood very clearly that is a boulder. And isn't there a Jewish community that's known in history for having stood against Rome? Um, the, the area, the, the Petra. Yeah, Masad, yeah, and the, the reference to the, the Petra even there. The, it was a boulder. It was a huge stone. They understood the reference. You're exactly right. It was Christ upon which the church would be built. So it's upon the truth of that statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ will build his church. And then that takes us to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Another supporting verse, Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. And we could go to other references as well, but we're going through this quickly for sake of review. That brings us back to this word ekklesia in the Greek language. The Greek word for church is this word ekklesia. It's a compound word made up of the preposition that means out from and the verb that means to call, so to call out from. But again, this term in non-biblical literature meant an assembly or a gathering of people. So we have here in the New Testament this word, which had been used in reference to a political assembly, a social assembly of some kind, now being used to refer to an assembly of believers, a unique group united 
by Christ, united in Christ and through Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit, the blood of Christ. So there is an infusion of biblical, if I can use the word theology or ideology, into this word. And now it has a unique definition. It has a unique meaning. We as believers, you look at, you look around and you look at us, okay? And what would be any reason for us to get together? Just thinking in terms of non-Christian, just in a social way. Look at all the backgrounds. Look at all the ways in which we are different. Look at all the different generations. I took a time this summer to look at the, the various generations. We talked about six. We have six generations of people represented in our church. I love that. We are a very diverse church in our backgrounds, in our generations, in a lot of ways. What, what brings us together? Again, I use the illustration a lot of my friend in, in Africa. I got a prayer letter from him last week, week before. And just he's, he's sharing about a, a church that is growing, that I, that I visited, uh, wow, 22 years ago. I was there. I was at the early stages of that church. And to see Shadrach being used the Lord to, to grow that church, it's just incredible. What's the bond? And we go, we, we, you know, it's Christ. It's, it's the blood of Christ. It's that we're born again. We're the family of God because we are in Christ. That is incredible. We could have all kinds of different reasons for getting together because we all like the green family, because we have certain interests, you know, we have sports, we have certain uh, economic interests. I love the fact we have some college even have some, uh, 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 a new student here from Purdue. Uh, I, I love the fact that we have all of this diversity of background, of age, of, in a sense, culture. I mean, I'm a city kid. I, I mean, how would I even be here when I'm, I'm a city kid? Some, some, of, some, of, some of you look at Indianapolis. And I, it's so funny sometimes around Lafayette, I, I talk about being from Indianapolis, and people are like, oh, you know, that's like, it's like a scary place, you know. <laughs> it's so fun. Driving, sorry, I've got a little, little glitch or something here. I talk about driving 465, and people are like, oh. And it is, it is, believe me. The 465 is another name for the Indy 500, okay? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but, you know, what, 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 would, what would put us together if it weren't for Christ, if it weren't for the blood of Christ, if it weren't for the fact that we are the family of God? I love it. It's, it's wonderful. There's no other place I'd rather be than, than the church. Amen. I mean, family, of course, but, but the church. And, and you all are family. And, and it's such a wonderful bond that we have. And there's no explanation for it. The world still cannot figure out, why do these people want to get together on Sunday? Why do these people worship? Why do these people, and in their first century, why were they dying just call the Roman emperor God. Just call him, put his inscription in your, your place of assembly and commit your loyalty to Caesar. And they would say no. And there was in the book of Romans, thou, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and be willing to die for that. Incredible. That's because of the bond we have in Christ, because... He is our Savior. He is our foundation.
And that's the ecclesia. It's, it's a unique bond, unique assembly. So we talked a little bit last week about every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Galatians 3 and verse 28, and this speaks to what uh, we were just referring to. And so all the different backgrounds and languages and cultures united in Christ. It doesn't mean that there aren't differences. Of course there are, geographic, cultural, but we have that bond in Christ. Of course there's male and female. This is not erasing male and female in the perverted way in which our culture is trying to do that. It's not, of course it's not saying that at all. But we are one in Christ Jesus. And that contrasts with the world today. The world today is selfish, making a little g-god out of each individual self. And the only reason why there is evil or trouble in the world is because of systems, institutions, power, racial oppression or other kinds of oppression, power oppressions. The only reason why there's evil in the world is because of prudes like us who expect people to live by some moral absolutes. I mean, that's the way it's being turned and twisted. You come in and, and, and trans kids in schools and in different places and then accuse us of having the problem. You, you're the one who picked this fight. You expect boys to be boys and girls to be girls. What kind of fools do you think you are? I mean, that's the way they treat us, right? They pick the fight, they push all the buttons, and then when we respond with the truth, and we respond with moral values based on an absolute standard of God's truth, then they say, well, you're the one causing all the problems. It's, it's an attack. It's the gates of hell. So we are dealing with this breakdown in our culture, and it divides people up. Expressive individualism, I determine my own truth, Bodily autonomy. I was listening uh, to an interview with a pro-abortionist, and she admitted that that unborn baby was a human life, but not a person. That unborn baby, she said, that unborn baby has human qualities, but is not yet a person. She admitted that that was a human life, but did not have human rights because that person, that that human being, that baby was not a person. And she literally used this term right here, bodily autonomy. She used that very term in, in the interview to argue for why that baby should be murdered in the mother's womb. Why the abortionist should, from conception to infanticide, basically, that baby did not have bodily autonomy and so therefore did not have human rights. Unbelievable the depths of wickedness that man will go to to excuse his sin. But that's, that's our culture today. Religion is private, individual, ecumenical, if there is. Identity is the highest good and the most authentic self to the point that even biological or natural realities must be submitted to identity. To the point that we have a Boston Children's Hospital putting out videos describing the mutilation of children. Body parts being removed. Healthy body parts being mutilated. Children, we're talking like 10 years old and younger in some cases. Teens. 
I don't want to get too carried away here, but when a 16, 15-year-old girl is having a full hysterectomy simply because she thinks that she's a boy in the Boston Children's Hospital or another entity of similar comes along and says, yeah, we'll do a full hysterectomy on you. There's nothing wrong with her. There's no physical, biological problem. She just thinks that she's a boy. She identifies as a boy at 15 or 16. She's in gender dysphoria, and so the, the children's hospital comes in and does a full hysterectomy on a 15 or 16-year-old girl. Unbelievable, and other surgeries as well. Absolutely disgusting. It makes you so angry. You want to drive over to the Boston Children's Hospital and give your opinion to a few people. It, that's the world we live in. This is, where, this is where it goes. It's in great contrast to this. Quite a contrast. And again, we talked last week as we came to a conclusion. What happens here is these are idols, gods. We are the masters of our own fate. We can go back to Molech and Baal. We can go to the polytheism and the pantheistic cultures. And they are inserting their gods. Really, in a sense, this is Genesis 3. Ye shall be your own god. You make up your own truth. You have your bodily autonomy. You have your expressive individualism. This is Romans 1. This is the reprobate mind. We are in a form right now of consequential judgment right now, sowing and reaping. There is coming a time when there will be cataclysmic judgment, when there will be another day of the Lord, and there will be a judgment in a cataclysmic sense. We think of the plagues in Egypt. We think of certain times where God intervenes, like Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire and brimstone. Those are cataclysmic judgments. Those are days of the Lord in the sense that God intervenes in a judgmental way. There is coming a day of the Lord in which there will be another cataclysmic judgment. But we are already experiencing consequential judgment okay, in the, the law of sowing and reaping. So we are up against this. It doesn't mean that we should live in fear and find a cave somewhere and rub some sticks together and find some lighter fluid and burn our little campfires in our caves and hide. Now, there may be a time where we'll have to uh, be like the believers in the USSR or communist China or some of these other oppressive countries where there's an underground church. I pray that we won't ever have to be an underground church. But all these communistic, socialistic, dictatorship, autocratic nations and powers, they've all tried to suppress the church, haven't they? Every single one of them. Go back to the empires, Babylonian, Greek, Medo-Persian, Roman, they've all tried to take the church out. They've all tried to eliminate the word of God. They've all tried to usurp God's power. And every single one of them have failed. But the church marches on. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we talk about the local church. This is a particular body of believers in a particular locale. We might think of it as the little C church, of which we are one of them. Okay? And those scripture references speak to locales, as in local church assemblies. 
And then there's the universal church. The universal body of believers has not yet met altogether. We will in heaven, and we will sing the praises of our Lord and Savior and bow before him. There will be that assembly of the universal church, but the universal church right now is all believers everywhere in all places, but we are in different local assemblies. And there are believers who are, unfortunately, outside of local assemblies. Every believer needs to be a part of a local church. A person who is a believer who is outside of a local church is actually out from under the protection of that body of believers that is necessary for us as believers to be properly developing our spiritual gifts, exercising our spiritual gifts, edifying one another, being edified, etc. We'll talk some more about that as we get into some of the metaphors. But we have the local assembly of Christians and then the universal body of believers. So one church, two locales. The universal body of believers will one day meet together Though there is a universal body of believers in that we're talking about each individual believer in all places around the world in their different locations. Any questions so far or comments up to this point? Okay, so we'll take some time. We'll look at some New Testament metaphors. These are fascinating. Look at how God describes the church in his word. It's very fascinating. It's It's a study that we could do individual lessons on on probably each one. But we see that the church is referred to as an inheritance in Ephesians 1 and verse 18. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And again, this separates Christianity from all other religions. Now again, Christianity is not just a religion. It is mostly a relationship. It's a religion in that there are practices that we have but we speak of Christianity primarily as a relationship. And no other religion has these unique qualities. We have an inheritance. We are an inheritance of God the Father. I don't deserve that. My net worth isn't worth being called an inheritance. My poor kids, <laughs> they're, they're not going to get much from their dad. <laughs> you know, There's some of these spoiled brat celebrities who... They're born and they have a net worth because of <laughs> their parents and they're just spoiled brats. I was listening to a podcast and he was describing this, uh, this candidate for the Senate out in Pennsylvania who's running against Dr. Oz. I think, his, I think his name is Fetterman or something. The guy was an adult and he was still getting like $50,000 a month or something from his parents or 50000 a year from his parents. He was living off mom and dad as an adult and making like 50000 or 40000 a month or, or a year. The guy's hardly worked a day in his life and he wants, well, I guess if you don't work a day in your life, you can qualify for the United States Senate now. But anyway, okay. And then tell us how to live our life and run our businesses and everything else. How did I get there? All right, inheritance. So inheritance. We are blessed as a child of God, as a church, of being in the inheritance, the glory of his inheritance, God's inheritance. Incredible. New humanity, Ephesians 2.15, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. There's the individual new creation, new creature in Christ Jesus, 
But together, we make up this new humanity. Now, we hear the LGBTQ plus community talking about humanity, this human now. Posters I mentioned the other day that speak of, they have the pride colors, and it spells out the word human. Okay, so that unborn baby is not a human. Or if it does, it doesn't have human rights. But a boy who thinks that he is a girl, a girl who thinks that he is a boy, that is a human who needs to be identified. So if you don't acknowledge the trans, you are dehumanizing them. You're saying that they are invisible, they don't exist. Now, get, try to get our minds around that, okay? That, that's just like, makes your head spin. It makes you want to puke, because it's just so disgusting. But we're saying... The Bible is saying with all authority from God that in Christ we have a new humanity. We are bought with a price and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That speaks to a new calling, a new way of life, a new view of the world. This speaks to a whole different way of living that's totally different and separated from what now we live in the world. We're not to be of the world. But our view, our motives, our goals, our desires, what we're after in life is totally different than the unsaved, the natural man. That's the new humanity in Christ. That's the church. We're also referred to as God's household, Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Another proof text to Christ being the cornerstone, the foundation of the church, the head of the church. But we see no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Again, I can't help but think, having been overseas, and some of you have been in, uh, in foreign countries. And some of you have been in places, maybe even around town. And I know I've been in places, even Indian, in Indianapolis, where I was the outsider <laughs> due to different uh, factors in the store or the place that I was at. And we know how that feels, to be out of place. Um, Galen, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. I had, I had to laugh when you told the story the other day of walking into a barber shop over there off of Earl. I think you were telling us the story at the men's breakfast of walking into a barber shop, and you walked in and <laughs> you you looked up and you're like, okay, I'm not sure I'm in the right place, and then yet you still you still got one of the best haircuts uh, that you, that you had ever received. It just this, it was just a funny story. You have to talk to Galen about it. But you know that that walking into a place and you feel like you don't belong, and there's that awful feeling. Do you do you walk out or do you stay and start asking questions and figure out <laughs> if you're in the right place? Well, too often, we as believers, we don't have that discomfort with the world, do we? Too often, believers are very, very comfortable with the world's entertainment, the world's music, the world's dress standards, the world's motives and desires, the world's whatever. Attitudes, thank you, philosophies. Too often... Christians 
are way too comfortable. We know that feeling of being in a place and wondering if we belong there. I remember being in, in Africa and many times feeling very uncomfortable. I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. I don't even know why I'm driving, or I didn't do the driving, but why are they driving on the wrong side of the road? You know, why do we have six lanes in a roundabout in Dodge vehicles to get to the correct place to get off? You know, on and on we could go. But look at how we're described. Strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. <laughs> that is incredible. Very uncomfortable with the world. But what a blessing to come to church and to be with fellow citizens Amen. of the saints. I mean, what a privilege. What a, what, a, what, a, what a blessing. Six days of all of the mess of the world, but we can come together and we can breathe, in a sense, celestial air. Not that this is heaven, okay? But you know what I'm saying. There is a blessing of being together, of that being fellow citizens, of being bound together in Christ. What an incredible metaphor. And then we see building temple, in whom all the building fitly framed together growth groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. That speaks to the holiness of God. That speaks to the fact that we should be holy as he is holy. That speaks to the reverence that we should have for church, but also the reverence, of course, that we should have for God and the sanctity of life that we should have. Uh, we can go on and on, but it's incredible to, to think of that metaphor. The temple was an extremely special holy and separated place. Lord willing, Wednesday night, we'll look at uh, Solomon's prayer, his prayer of dedication at the temple. And look at the glories of Solomon's temple. David was so desirous of the temple worship. He, he, he was instrumental in bringing the Ark of the Covenant. We know he did it wrong, and Uzzah died but we saw David's heart for the Lord. He wanted that Ark of the Covenant, and he wanted to build the temple, but what did God tell him? Couldn't build it. Why? Because he was a man of war, a man of bloodshed. But David so desired, he has a place in mind, Jerusalem, he wants to be the one to build the temple. God says no, but what does David do? He starts gathering all the stuff. He starts making all the preparations so that when he died, Solomon would build the temple, and then Solomon put, I mean, incredible glory into that temple. What does that speak to? Why does in the Minor Prophets, there is an entire book, I believe it's Habakkuk. You all have houses in which to dwell, but the Lord doesn't have his temple. You've built the walls of the city, you've built your own houses, but where is the Lord going to be among his people? We saw the importance of the tabernacle and then the temple. Now, we don't have the physical temple, and the church building is not the temple in the same sense that the tabernacle or the temple was of the Old Testament. We are the temple as believers, but doesn't that speak to the sanctity, the reverence, the holiness? All of that comes, comes to mind when we speak to the metaphor of the church being God's building or temple. And then we go on to the next. 
We see the reference of a body. This is one that we're probably very familiar with. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So we are very familiar with the body. And this goes against, this goes against, in a theological sense, this goes against this trans movement in our culture. And have you heard of the transhuman movement? There are people who are now trying to clone human beings and have artificial, intelligent human beings. It's really crazy, some of the stuff that's out there. There's already been some attempt to clone a human being. Who's the, who's the, what's the name of the sheep that the guy cloned? Was it Dolly? Yeah. And uh, it turned out that they were trying to clone, and I guess you can even clone a dog. You lose your favorite dog. I guess you can clone your dog. I mean, there's some weird stuff that's out there. Well, now there's this transhuman movement. Now, I'm a big baseball fan, and I understand that Ted Williams is frozen somewhere because his family hopes that one day there will be a technology that will allow people to be resurrected back to life by some form of medical technology. And Ted Williams' family is hoping that one day he will be brought back to life and he'll hit 400 again in, in, in for the Boston Red Sox or whoever he played for. Wasn't it the Red Sox, Nat? That, yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's... You know, hope for some people. What a, what a, what a foolish hope, right? That man's going to be able to cause somebody to come back to life. We know the keys of death and hell are in the hands of the Lord. But we're familiar with the body. We live in a body. We speak to a theological sense of the body being the temple of God. Well, think about that in terms of the church. Some of us feel like we're the kidney or the spleen. <laughs> or the appendix. <laughs> Some of us are the nose, or the eyes, or the ears. But what does God often say about the analogy of, of the body? Does the mouth say to the nose, or the ear say to the nose, hey, I don't like you, get off the face. Does the ear take over the whole face and say, I don't like you, eyes, or, or, or nose, or mouth? Now, that's ridiculous. But the church is sometimes like that. The, the spleen is over there saying to the eye, stop doing that. I'm, don't you understand I'm the spleen? Or don't you understand I'm the heart? And then there are people who are the pinky toe, and they think that they are the big toe, or they're the pointer finger. You know? There are people who think that they are gifted with the, the gift of criticism. You ever, you ever met those people in the church? They have the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so there, there's people who make up gifts, right? But the, obviously the point is that each, each part of the body has its function and has its area of giftedness that supplies what the body needs in order to live. It's incredible. Evolution can't even... Can't even this is one of the ways in which you can disprove evolution, just by the whole systems of the body. How did all of the systems of the body automatically, or I should say by chance and time and lady luck, all the systems of the body somehow, way, start working together in just the right time and way so that 
there could be human life. And then you have the ecological system, then you have all the, the uh, percentages of nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide. All of that just happened to come together at just the right time so there could be human life. It just, you know, it's just ridiculous, but you think about all the systems of the body. What's the last system of the body to go away when someone dies? I hear it's the, I, from what I understand, it's the hearing. Yeah, the brain, but, but the function is, from what I understand, hearing. So when my dad was dying, we were told, continue to talk to him. Every other function of his body may have stopped, but he could still hear. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's something about the, but that's the way God created the body. God created the body to, to live and to give its resources to other parts of the body. Someone's not able to hear. We talk about the deaf ministry and what are some of the areas that take over. Their yeah, their sight. It becomes extremely keen. Though they can't hear, their sight becomes, the body has its incredible, that's, that's what the church should be doing. We help, we help bear each other's burdens. We all have our own load, Galatians 6. But we carry, we help bear, help bear each other's burdens. It's an incredible analogy. A living house. He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. This, these living stones, they build a spiritual house. There's holy priesthood. There's holiness again. There's sacrifice, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So the church is a living house. In a sense, each of us are living stones that build the living house of God. It's, a, it's an incredible analogy. And then a chosen people. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation. Speaks to the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. We don't earn our salvation. We don't, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, you put in your 50% or 60%, God will put in his 40 or 50%. You know, you may have to put in 70% because you're a really bad dude. And if you're really, really bad and you can only put in your 10% and the church or in Christ has to put in 90, you, you may have to spend a little bit more time in purgatory to burn off because you were a really bad person. So you may have to spend a little extra time. That means that your family needs to pay the church a little bit more indulgences, offerings, right? To help get that. We can go on and on. Is that what we're talking about? The church? In that sense? Of course not. We are a chosen people in that we are saved by grace, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And so uh, we see the analogy there. It also speaks to the fact that we're a separated people, we're a different people, we're not like uh, the world. And then we see a holy, royal priesthood. That's, that's incredible. We talk about the priesthood of the believer. One of the Baptist distinctives. Priesthood of the believer. The P in Baptist. So what does that mean? Priesthood of the believer. Does that mean that we are to bring in our rams and our goats and offer our sacrifices? What does that mean? David? Go direct to the Father. Excellent. So just as they had to bring the sacrifices and go through the priest in the Old Testament, we go directly to the Father. Yes, Derek.
Yes. Yes. Correct. Right. Yeah, the, the veil is rent. We can go into the Holy of Holies. Excellent. So again, I go back to the Roman Catholic Church. I was listening to... I, there's, a, there's a conservative podcaster I listen to regularly, and he is a conservative, staunch Roman Catholic. I disagree with him on a lot of his theology. Very conservative, political person. But somebody, somebody called in and said, I have sinned in this way. What should I do? And of course, what does he say? Go to the priest. Confess to the priest. And you will get your, you know, do whatever he tells you to do for your, your, your confessions, your penance or whatever. And I thought, what a shame. What an absolute shame. Instead of telling them they can go to Christ and be forgiven and repent of their sin, he's saying, go to the priest. What, what other religion, again, using the word religion in the right sense of the word, what other religion offers that kind of access? And it's only through the blood of Christ. That kind of access, that's incredible. One of the reasons we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, so we as a family, as a church family, can come together and pray. And we get into our groups and we pray. And sometimes you share things in your groups that you don't share with everybody else, but we're helping bear one another's burdens because we can go straight to the Lord and pray. And we're spending time on Wednesday nights talking about prayer. Finally, and then we'll be done today, three more and then uh, we'll be out of time. A nation set apart to God. We see 1 Peter 2.9, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Once again, speaking to our separation from the world, but also the fact that we are set apart to God. Living sacrifice, Romans 12. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. We see flock, 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Obviously, it's a command to a pastor, but it speaks to us being sheep, being a flock, like a flock of sheep. And I don't know how many of you have ever cared for sheep. I haven't been a sheep herder, but I've read enough and heard enough that sheep are pretty dumb animals. And uh, they get into a lot of trouble, and they do a lot of dumb things. They wander off, they get into the water and get their wool all soaked and heavy and have to be rescued. A lot of things about sheep, and no wonder we're compared to sheep because of the way we often uh, are, are acting like the, the animal sheep. But it speaks to the fact that we have this need for depending upon the Lord, and we have this uh, responsibility before the Lord to follow him. And then a pure bride. Again, come hither, I will, share, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Incredible. Going back to Ephesians 5 and the wife, the husband and the wife, and Christ being the head of the church. And here we see that again in Revelation 21 and verse 9 that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, again, it, it's, it, it's, it's overwhelming. It's such an awesome thought. What a privilege that we don't deserve. These metaphors are, are so. Uh, informative. They help us so much in understanding who we are uh, and what the church is and uh, who we are to be as the church. Any closing comments or, or questions? No? All right. Um, Brother Denny, uh, do you mind closing us in prayer? And then we'll be uh, dismissed, get ready for the service.
Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll start to